In this episode, Ryan and I just pick up where we left off, continuing to blow up the noise. We had fun. Hope you enjoyed. That's a nice comment. Um, you mentioned a second ago the annual uh, renewable term, and then you mentioned the, the phrase decreasing term. And we've talked about this, how annually renewable term is just a, a outgrowth of decreasing term. And I think if people understood that and first of all knew what decreasing term was and how annually renewable term then came about, then this 9010 stuff, which requires that, would be more easily dispelled. So can you explain what decreasing term is? Yeah, it's a it's a about a hundred year old idea. I mean, this argument of term and permanent is very old. Okay. I mean a lot of actuaries and financial gurus wrote about it in the 20s and the 30s. And mm-hmm. I have a lot of good books on it. Um, so decreasing term, just as I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to buy a particular face amount, and the premium is going to remain level. So therefore, the death benefit is going to decrease to zero at some time into the future. So you start right. with some death benefit on the expectation that it's going to go down. It, no, on, by design, it yeah. will go down. And what remains level is a premium. Mm-hmm. Right, so that's a decreasing term. Because by construct, look, every day that my feet are on the ground, I'm one day closer to mortality. Life insurance is priced based on mortality, among other things. You know, there's rate of return, distribution, and all that stuff. Okay, so every day that my feet are on the ground, I'm getting one day closer to graduation. Mm -hmm. So if I'm going to buy pure term, pure life insurance, quote unquote, if I'm going to buy a term, my premium must go up because I'm getting closer and closer to mortality. Well, you know, nobody wants to pay for nothing. So, and nobody's going to pay for that increasing term cost. You know, you buy a 20 year term policy, let's say the premium is $2,000 a year. On the 21st year, it goes up to 47000 mm-hmm. Nobody's going to write that check. Right. Right. So, we'll just keep it at $2,000. We'll decrease to zero at the end of the 20 years as created by the life insurance companies. Mm-hmm. Okay. Um, which is an extension of the thinking that you want to buy the cheapest amount of death benefit possible and put your money to work somewhere else to get a great big rate of return by term and invest the difference. Typically, Purposefully abdicating control of capital to Wall Street. Yes, you're tra- very, you're like, abdicating your responsibility, no question. And they will help you do that. I bet. Yeah. Right? Why? Because they get paid to manage it. And that's supposed to be financial wisdom. Exactly. Well, everybody else is doing it. How convenient. Isn't it? And now you don't have to do anything. Don't pay attention. I got you. Right? I got you. Like all these car wreck lawyers that yeah. chase car wrecks. I got you. Oh, feeling warm and fuzzy on the inside. You, Wall Street, you have me? You're going to take care of me? You're going to manage that portfolio for my benefit, right? And, oh, wait, you're going to charge me a fee, and you're only going to be profitable if I'm profitable? Yeah, sure. Ah. Okay, so that's decreasing term, purposely decreasing death benefit over a certain specified time. (laughs) Now, what's the relationship with that and annually renewable term riders? (laughs) It's, you put a rider on a policy, so then it, it, it advances the idea that your money, you know, can increase in value, your IE, your cash value, life insurance policy. So as your cash value increases, your need for death benefit goes down, right? So you have a little cash value, you, your little whole life, your little, your little let's, let's take a 90-10 construct, 10% going to the base, mm-hmm. right? Well, that's the only thing that's going to be enforced by the time you graduate, on a natural life expectancy. Mm-hmm. So you're, you're starting from a little bitty base, a small number, and you're gonna grow it to a larger number, there's no question. But it's still gonna be a little bitty number in the future because it was such a little bitty number to start with. Mm. Does that make sense? So you gotta put a annually renewable term writer on a 1090 product in order to maintain that non-MEC status and still get well, that's, 90% of the PU, 90% of the premium into the PUA. Yeah, that's just one rider, the, the annual renewable term. Mm-hmm. I can buy, you know, as part of a blended PUA, I can buy a particular death benefit, million, two million, three million, four million, whatever it is, yeah. and the death benefit remains level, right, for that time period that I'm paying the high premiums. Mm-hmm. 
but it's still a blended, the term death benefit is blended with the PUA. Well, who's paying for that increasing cost of the term? Right? The insurance company just gave it to you? No, you are. Right. Right. And so to deconstruct that policy, especially in the illustration, it's almost impossible for the consumer to say, oh, I can see how the death benefit is going to go down in the future because it's not illustrated that way. Right. Right. But when you sign, you know, it's a unilateral contract, the life insurance, you know, and the illustration is not part of the contract. I don't know how many times you've said that. Nope. Right. And so when you sign the contract, you at delivery and even in the application, you know, the 47 pages of disclosure, mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, and when you sign that delivery contract, when you sign that, you've accepted the contract as it is. Yep. Uh, so how convenient. Then it's it, a, that's why I'm so tough on illustrations. That's the same thing with universal life. You know, it's a, it's, you, you look at a 97 page universal life illustration. All right. Well, it illustrates better, right? Well, James, I thought you said previously that the NAIC, the National Association of Insurance Commissioners, limited several years ago on what internal rate of return you could illustrate. And they did. Yes, I said that. And they did. Well, how are they getting around that? Oh, they had these multiplying factors in the policy. Index, what? A multiplying factor in the policy? What does that mean? Oh, I get a bonus in the future if this, this, and this, and this, and this, and this happens. It's like, please stop it. All part of the same noise. And it's this, just like with the decreasing term, it's the same outgrowth of life insurance is the worst place to put money. Death benefit is bad. I've had, I had a, a, a client tell me this uh and maybe they'll go through and get a policy. I don't know. But um, this idea that I don't want to leave anybody anything. Do you had a prospective client say that? You're done. Don't call my office. If you don't love your people, your family, I mean, if you don't have anybody, there's no cause on the face of this earth that you support. Really? And you want to. Yeah. And prideful about it. Oh, bye, like, Felicia. Ask me, um, like, in a like a not a taunting way but like a like it's like a um uh, uh the type of question you're not supposed to answer what was what's, what's it called uh, uh yeah yeah, yeah. Um, a she, rhetorical question rhetorical, yeah she goes uh, uh oh the lady yeah she goes have you ever heard anybody say that and i'm like uh yeah actually i have yeah too many times um but it's all that same mentality well I'm it's gonna, okay to spend your death I mean, and i say that well, and that's where I was. That's what I wanted to get to. Was it's either we got a value problem, right, or we've got a, a, a misunderstanding about what happens in life insurance, right? Where we think it's either I have cash value or I have a death benefit. Maybe it's both. Yeah, could be. I don't know. I, they're nice people. The call was fine, but um, and maybe their children, you know, are despicable. I don't know. Well, her daughter was on the phone with her at the time. So. <laughs> Oh my goodness! But um, yeah, the, so the idea that death benefits bad, I'm going to do everything in my power not to get it, uh, in order to in, indulge this idea that cash value is an alternative to death benefit, which of course it can't be because the cash value is the net present value of the death benefit. Um, all of that—that's all part of the same noise. And then you see all the all the comments that are just like appear to be gushing with love for this kind of stuff, and it's like maybe we're just they want fast food yeah well it reminds me because this is nothing new this is I've said it over and over because I believe it to be true is this these are just continuations of noise and flawed thinking and Nelson you know rethink your thinking it's the way we think it's the way we think and our thinking is shaped you know by the narrative that we're born in the construct that we're born in yeah right the narrative our thinking is shaped by the financial noise that is out there we're surrounded in noise some of the worst noises in the financial world and, and let me say too in the religious world i don't want to leave that out but i don't want to be you know preachy either but i can preach i mean <laughs> i'm just saying that we're surrounded by noise some of the worst noises in the financial world and this is just a promotion of that an extension of that you know this is when i'm advancing these ideas that are not true um, i may have the purest heart in the world you know i mean i could be uh, wrong with the purest heart in the world and it's like well why are you going to spend so much time pointing these things out well why not I mean if I if right. I care for my fellow man right if I care for my people mm-hmm. if I care for you know society and my clients my family wouldn't I want to promote the right thing or what what is closest to the truth um, and point out what 
the pitfalls are, where the pitfalls are, and why they're pitfalls. Yeah. You know, I mean, and and if that doesn't make sense, no problem. I mean, there's a gazillion channels out there to listen to the right. noise, right. and you can go take a bath in it. You can spread it around. You can wallow in it, and you know, you can get paid to promote it. Mm-hmm. You know, these these uh, all these revenue shares that get are going contra- on out yeah. there. Get a contract. Do a, a guest interview. Yeah, you know, it's like, yeah, I mean, and we have, I have a lot of clients over the years that have become licensed and they're promoting and have a lot of other people, you know, that just want to be licensed so they can write a policy and get paid on it. And it's like, no, I mean, thank you. No. Yeah. Um, I had a conversation with a guy, a good client in Hawaii and, uh, he had, he had brought it up because he just naturally people they do this they pay a lot of premium they know they see what's going on and, and they, they nat- think you make a lot of money they naturally share it with oh absolutely their yeah, people. yeah 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 and and so he's like well so I looked into what it would take to get a license and I'm thinking about the practitioner program at the Nelson Nash Institute and you know I, I know you guys have talked about uh, how you don't how you won't split commissions and he's like I I get it I hear you but you know I, at the same time he was interested. And I was like, yeah, we've got the ability, but we, we really don't promote it, and because it's it's so it's like I was, I was at dinner the other night and uh, sitting at a bar, and of course someone asked, you know, what do you do? I hate that question. It's like because it's the same thing. Every, I want to know how quick life insurance salesman came out of your mouth. <laughs> <laughs> I really should just well, as soon as you say life insurance salesman, they think you're obviously Satan. You know, sure. Because that only uh, people who worse than COVID commission, <laughs> yeah, exactly, yeah, without a uh, mask. Right? And so it's like, well, I'm in finance, and okay, well, like, so you do investments? And it's like, ooh, no, <laughs> other things in finance other than investing. Um, but no, I do something called the infinite banking concept. Oh, what's that? Yeah, most people haven't heard of it. I mean, it's a scripted thing, and it's before you know it, ten minutes went by that you'll never get back. As <laughs> um, so I was like, I don't really like going into it, you know. I, I, pretty much what I really do is I do a podcast and I write and I speak and people watch that and then they call me and we do but that's really wow, what I do must be good well yeah it's a pretty you know you start explaining it it's a pretty nice little setup but um, <laughs> yeah so it's just when you see the what goes on out there well, what did he get do? triggered you know you're at, you're at dinner hey what do you do before his eyes rolled back in the back of his head did he share what he did I you don't even remember. Don't you didn't even remember. ask him. <laughs> <laughs> All right, I, and I've said this before. I want to share it again. You know, I don't want to be the old guy that keeps repeating himself, but, you know, back in the day, we used to do a lot of events. We'd just go out and speak and set up booths, sell books, or, you know, whatever. And so, you know, after a couple of days on hard concrete, you know, at, at a booth selling mm-hmm. books, and that's really what we did. We sold books and spoke, you know. <clears throat> um, I'm like, we made a game out of it. You know, people would come around. It's like, what do you do? Well, we sell books. And they're looking at the books like they're interested or they even read. And they're like, well, well, no, I mean, what do you do? So we made a game. The game was um, the first word out of your mouth was this is life insurance. And then the game was how long you could keep them at the booth talking. Right. And then the other side of that was, uh, and I'm not talking about people who had a genuine interest. You know, we didn't have fun with them. We did have fun with them, but it was different. Okay. And the other side of that was um, how long you could talk without saying the word life insurance and keep them at the table. (laughs) (laughs) It was quite fun until the second day comes around and you're, you're, you know, you're tired, you know, you've given a couple of presentations, you know, you're dry, you're, you're like over it. Your family's been hanging out all weekend doing fun things and you're not. Yeah concrete floor did i mention that in these 20 minute chairs they're not they're not made to sit in for eight hours you know (laughs) okay and then i remember this one time a guy came around and some of the people that worked some of these booths with me would have their own stories you know but this one guy came around one time and he's like oh what do you do and i'm like oh you know we just you know i you know, sell books and blah, 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 blah. And what is it about? And, and I didn't even want to stand up and talk to him, you know, because, you know, he was, yeah. he felt like he was almost obligated to ask what we did because we had a booth somewhere. Anyway, when I, I stood up and I started telling him, I use life insurance. He, he goes, oh my gosh. And uh, he said something about, he was a tax preparer or CPA. And oh my, I couldn't help myself. I insulted him. I'm like, I wish you'd have said that before I got up. Send him on packing down the road. 
I mean, which is not good. You know, I mean, it kind of speaks to this why you're so negative, is why I'm bringing it up. It's like, I don't know, because you, you've been wore out for a couple of days in yeah. that example. Yeah. You know? um, but then you meet um, other people that it's like 10 years later, you ask them, well, how, do, how did we meet? You know, it refreshed my memory. Oh, and James, you were speaking at the Reliance Expo, Self Reliance Expo, mm. or the Real Estate Expo. And I was going there to buy you know, food storage, or mm-hmm. I was going there to listen about, you know, real estate notes and I'm walking by and I heard you talking and some of the things you said stopped me in my tracks and I moved yeah. over, came back and I listened to what you said. Then I bought all the books and I can't believe it. And, you know, either after, you know, two years of editing or two weeks, whatever it was, it was like, you know, I became a client. It's the greatest thing ever. And, and, and it's like Tim and Lori that comment earlier, you know, it's like so refreshing. Yeah. You know, it's so refreshing. Vital. Yeah. Today, not today, this week, you know, you had mentioned, um, you know, the clients that are very pleasant to work with, which all of our clients are very pleasant to work with or you're not a client. You know what I mean? We have a process. I fired one this week, too. (laughs) I mean, it's like while you call in and vet us, we're kind of vetting you, you know, whether we can work together. And it's okay. We can't work with everybody, but um, we can work with the nice people. (laughs) I'm just saying that uh, this week. When people, and it's this week, next week, the week after, hopefully, thankfully, appreciative, um, James, you know, this we, we, the second, you know, we started, we started bigger than we ever thought we could, and, and it's like, and now we're looking back, and it's not big enough, mm-hmm. it's as good or better than we thought, can we, you know, we want to expand, and because the policies are structured correctly, they can expand, mm-hmm. you know, that, I mean, what's that worth? You know, and the question is, I want to. Can we do less in term this time? And can I pay more in base? Yes, you can. And why should you? Because you know what's going on. Yep, thinking intergenerationally. Mm-hmm. I, young guy, I do that construction site manager. He's like, I'm, I'm thinking on this next one. You know, less moving parts, less term. You know, more yeah. base. Uh, lifetime cash values and death benefits will be higher. I don't care what the made up Excel spreadsheets that they show you say. Unless you've um, got a 37% rate of return on that Excel spreadsheet. Yeah, index of dividend. And, and, and <laughs> I've been beat up over the years from agents, they, you know, through Twitter and wherever. They're like, James, why don't you why don't you promote index dividends? The same reason I don't promote mutual funds. And the same reason, why would you? An index dividend is a marketing gimmick to get the client to accept direct recognition. What? That's what it is. Yeah. That or, and, and... It's the uh, the the life insurance company embracing their ignorance of who they are and who their who their client is, why they exist, and their heritage. We want to be like Wall Street. Yep. The index universal life. We well the closest thing if we don't come out with an index universal life policy, we'll give them the option for an index dividend. Here's a fun fact. What's his name? Uh, Harry Markopoulos. Oh yeah. So the the certain characters out there who are promoting the 1090 stuff use a company that. So Harry Markopoulos was called the uh, Madoff scandal. Mm-hmm. He was sending in. He created the at, at his uh, uh, pestering the SEC created a whistleblower program, right? So that whistleblowers yeah. could get paid. Talk about a forensic accountant. Yeah. Called the Madoff scandal, right? Before he ultimately confessed to his family and years. went to jail. Yeah. Years. Years and years. Prior. Nobody would listen to him. Yeah. He recently did a, re- a report on GE Capital that's got into the uh, long-term care reinsurance business. and Fixing to be purchased by Cho- China Oceanwide. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So, that's what you wanted is a bunch of Chinese <laughs> controlling your life insurance or your long-term care insurance or your annuities. What could go wrong if I, there? I want to plan for the future. I'm going to go to the Communist Party and, and buy financial products. What a, what a thought. What? Yeah. Okay, so that's Harry Markle, right? So this guy knows what he's talking about. Uh, he points out that the so these 1090 guys they use uh one of the, I'm not going to say the name of the company you can go find out for yourself they use one of the big 4 Ooh. right which Marco Polis says must have known what 
Madoff was doing. What? Because they had billions, billions with a B under his quote unquote management. And these people didn't fall off the Apple car. I mean, they're, you know, are you talking about that one company that sold the big old in the 80s mutual fund family that was like the thing to own and they had to sell it to shore up their Hmm. PL? Hmm. Them? Yeah. Huh. You know. But wait, they're a mutual company. What could go wrong? They're very old. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Big marketing campaign. Highly paid executives. Yeah. Where's, what? Where's that money coming from? 30 or 40 highly paid executives with 10, 15, and $20 million annual payroll. Who's paying for that? And then Madoff? And Madoff was paying for <laughs> <laughs> And we're the bad guys because we're negative. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, you can, it's to a point, it's like you couldn't write this. Yeah. And, I, I, and then I'm the one that gets the uh, uh, cease and desist letters because I'm, I'm, I'm <laughs> telling the somebody truth. Because I'm telling the truth. <laughs> yeah. Well, there you go. That's the world we live in today. And they must not know, right? It's just like the other NNI practitioner who got upset that I wrote the uh, Medium blog. Oh, my gosh. Renewable, uh, on blended ter- uh, PUA term writers. Right. Yeah. He whines, goes to NNI. Wah, 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 wah. I mean, this is one of the, one of the, uh, listen, this particular individual, right? You know, clients walked into his office with your article. <laughs> but Ryan says, <laughs> I seen this on the Bank of Life podcast. What's up with that? And, and, you know, he like probably turned white, started sweating, you know, and had to, had to, you know, feel like he had to, and he did, had to defend what he did. Yeah. You know, and why he did it, which, that- and that's the thing. These pe- people are... Which they, angered him. <laughs> yeah. You know, the, people say anybody could do YouTube, right? You just get a camera, just put, you know, the internet, everybody can publish. It, it, it's a double-edged sword. No question. Because once you say something, it exists forever. And so now there's a record, you know, and you go out and you put, and it really, it's, it's kind of nice because it really comes down to who's right, you know, and, and who has the, when, it, when you have specified the philosophy you know, what really fits, what really is a good solution given what we want to do, right? And so the, the index uh, dividend thing is, is, a, is a marketing scheme to discourage and to penalize you for utilizing your capital, right? It's to, you know, let's, let's go, here's an idea. Let's go build capital in the best place to put it. And then let's voluntarily select an option that would penalize me for utilizing that capital. Now how, how does the index dividend penalize you show me somewhere show me a company that offers an index uh dividend that doesn't require the, the client to accept direct recognition i don't think it i don't think it exists yeah i think it, it does it, i would like to see it <clears throat> well there is one out there that i'm aware of but in, in that but, will index it and won't reduce the dividend if you have a loan outstanding uh-huh I mean, but that's a double-edged sword, is what you're saying, you yep. know, which is true. If there, if the company is a direct recognition company, therefore reduces the dividend or doesn't pay a dividend because there's an outstanding loan on the amount that's collateralized, right? Um, that's already uh, one penalty for utilizing your capital, but then. The index dividend on top of that is another penalty. So if you have a direct recognition company with an index dividend, um, it's really two penalties. There, there's no question. Two additional costs. Well, but doesn't the market go up forever? I mean, mm. doesn't the index, won't the index rise and, and it'll pay, you know, a greater dividend than their published dividend scale if it's indexed? Is it possible? Yeah, it's possible. I haven't seen it yet. Right. But <clears throat> um, I'm just saying it's the idea that like Bigfoot. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> you hear about it. I haven't seen it. <laughs> what is that? Hide and seek champion of the world. Um, you know, it's it's that double-edged sword and, in my opinion, the, the willingness, <clears throat> or it, it's even more than willingness. I want to embrace the market. I want to, I want to willingly forget my heritage. Yeah. I want to willingly forget what we exist for, mm-hmm. you know, and, and of course, you know, uh, with interest rate environment squeezing down the lowest in recorded history, you know, these life insurance companies are pressed to make a, a reasonable rate of return without taking risk. Yeah. 
well, isn't that a reasonable way for them to maintain profits? Yeah. <laughs> Is indexing a dividend in a volatile uh, market environment? Wait a minute. Oh, mm. the options that are covered on the index cost money. Where's mm. the money coming from? Mm. I mean, if you just think the whole thing through, you financial advisor, I, you, why should you? Why would you feel the need to question my lack of interest in an index dividend when you say that you own dividend-paying life insurance? Yeah. I mean, I question that. If I just wanted a dividend from a legitimate dividend-paying life insurance company, a mutual company, which doesn't necessarily include the ones that you alluded to earlier that play games with their books, when when probably probably the best known forensic accountant points it out, <laughs> you yeah. know, and it really violates. Uh, like the we, the industry has had a difficulty defending itself in the past, as we've talked about in the because 80s. they don't know who they are. Yeah, and yeah. and they're doing it again. A, a dividend in dividend paying whole life is from the IRS's perspective and actuarially is a return of premium. That's why it's a, if you were to take it as cash up to the cost basis, a non-taxable distribution. Okay, well now let's link it to the market so that we can pretend it's a return. Okay, are returns taxed? Hmm. So all we're, we're asking to utilize the language that sets the groundwork for future taxation. And why? It, 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 how, how could you index a return of premium? <laughs> the premium's been paid. What's indexed about it? But listen, I, I get to sell it. You know, I get to sell it. I get to sell. I got to have something to sell. Right? I mean, give me something to sell, life insurance company, Wall Street, the financial ah, world. And Help me sell something. And you know what? People will hear you this know. and they will read it and then... I, in my opinion, just like you talked about with becoming your own banker, uh, that it's like a decoder lens. It is. You know, yep. you can you kind of see things for what they are, and once you see it, you can't unsee it. It's like the arrow in the FedEx logo, right? Once you see it's there, it's like oh my gosh, and it's crucial. Without the arrow, you don't have the FedEx thing. Uh, <laughs> once you see it, it's like, and then you put up the videos where oh we should we're going to index the dividend, and that's why this illustration looks so great. You can go cash on cash in three years. It's like, all right, keep you know, keep doing that. Because then my people, and then they start the first policy, fund the fire out of that, realize that it's too small, want to come get another one, put more to the bait, do the exact opposite of this noise, of all the noise. Yeah. And it couldn't be, and then you end up, you turn around, you're far more capitalized than you ever would have otherwise been. And these questions about, well, what should I do with the money? It's like, Listen, people who are well capitalized don't have that question, right? <laughs> they're, they're, the, the opportunity comes their way, yeah. right? And and if and if it's a good thing, if there's no problems to take care of, right? You've got all sure. this capital. Well, now you can just go create. <clears throat> you do what you want to do. You do, put something out there in the world that nobody had thought of before. Oh my gosh, you know that's the best investment. Um, you, you know, it's like your your uh, restaurant. Sure. Yeah. Um, you know, Nelson said, and it's true, everybody should be in two businesses. Whatever it is you do for a living, and then you should finance it. It's really not that difficult. It's not that difficult. It's not that difficult at all. And then wait a minute. Well, I'm not in business. Well, you have a family, right? You have a household. You have a personal economy. So you should manage that. Yeah. Okay. So what does that mean, James? Well, you're driving cars. Your spouse is driving a car. You're probably not sleeping in the rain tonight. Right, whether you're sleeping in a hotel, a rented property, or you own the property, quote unquote, own the property yeah. that you live in, they all come with a mortgage. Yeah. Right, so you're financing everything you do in life, and the question is, who profits from that, and who's who's controlling those cash flows? One time I said in a room full of agents, like, every one of us have a river of of uh, cash running through our lives, and and, it, and it get a bunch of these life insurance agents that their shoes don't match they're wore out you know and their their jackets are wore out and they're giving me a hard time you know for saying that we all have a river of money flowing through our lives oh you're the only broke guy in the room <laughs> you know it's like babe ruth the you know the loudest booze come from the cheapest seats yes i mean my point is you don't have to be in business you do not have to be in business i mean 
and you can you can be a governmental employee. You know, I've had my chops busted on that before. <laughs> <laughs> you can be in the CIA or the FBI as long as you're not on the you know the can't disclose what I do list. You know, you can become your own banker. Or after your assignment is over and you come back to the U.S., you can become your own banker. Or maybe your spouse is insurable. My point is, you do not have to be in business. You are making major purchases. You're financing major purchases. So. Just to run a successful household, it's okay to become your own banker and make that endeavor more profitable. I told this guy, the, the restaurateur, I'm like, just to kind of, in our initial discussions, just sort of framing what we're really doing here. I was like, look, you started a restaurant when you're not supposed to start restaurants, and it was successful when restaurants aren't supposed to be successful. Because the right? food is that good. So you're, dis- you're distributing food to retail customers, right? And that was going well. And so you went one level up the structure of production. You said, well, I'll provide, the, I'll provide my own meat, right? Manage the own meat. That was so successful that you were able to provide the meat to other restaurants. Listen, all we're doing with the infinite banking concept is just going up one more level. That's it. All that stuff's got to be financed. That's right. And all your people. And you know what? When he first, when he opened his first restaurant, he could not foresee that he'd be supplying his competitors. Couldn't do it. Yeah. And I'm like, so then, you know. All you, all yep. the people in your community who are all starting all these other restaurants, guess what? They all need to finance all that. Yeah. Just like they need meat that they're buying from you. Yeah. And he's like, oh, oh wow. <laughs> you know, talking about, <laughs> he's like, I gotta wrap my mind around. That's that it. And about the time you wrap your mind around or embrace the idea to the point that you're uh, comfortable enough to write a check, because there's all conversation until somebody writes a check, mm-hmm. right? And so once that check is written, oh my gosh, now your your attention or your desire to know even more becomes a little bit more acute, mm-hmm. right? Because it's your capital in there. Did I pick the right company? Are they gonna do what they said they were gonna do? Am I working with the right team or agent or advisor, whomever they are? Am I, am I agreeing with or buying into the correct philosophy? Yeah. Right, and once you do, embrace it, right? Don't. You know, don't, you know, once you put your hand to the cloud, don't look it. back. Go. Yeah. Right. Okay. So <laughs> once you get past all that, right, it's like all of a sudden you see these things that you didn't see before. Mm-hmm. What? Man, how could I jump over that humongous thing that I'm financing over there when I was just focused on this little automobile? Mm-hmm. You know, I was speaking with a client earlier this week, um, just pretty much newly delivered in the last six months or so and and a very creative, very productive individual, which most everybody who practices the infinite bank account, if this idea resonates with you, you're probably very productive. Yeah. Right. I'm not patronizing. I'm just saying this guy's one of them. Right. You'd like him, you'd love him. He you would everybody would get along. Right. And he's like, James is you know, he, he, he does this and this and this. And, and one of those, this is, is a real estate, you know, mm-hmm. very successful, you know what he does. And he's like, man, the deals keep coming. I don't have access to enough capital, 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 capital. He's like, I find he's like, I'm it, every, I listen to every episode that's released. And it's like, you're right. Y'all are right. You're right. You're right. You're right. Capital, capital, capital. capital. And so here's a guy that, that there are so many opportunities, he's still having to use hard money lending. Mm. And he knows full well that he should be the hard money lender. Yeah. Right? But the opportunities keep happening and happening and happening. Got to keep up. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So my point is that once you fully embrace the idea, or at least to the point that you write a check, put your money in, and then um, that sharpens your you know, interest, and so, oh my gosh, and everything works out to be okay. Oh, I didn't see this opportunity. Oh, I didn't think about that. Whether it's two months, six months, 12 mm-hmm. months, 18 months, five years, 10 years. Yeah, and this is another reason why I don't like illustrations. I mean, we look, all my people are gonna see an illustration, right, at the end of the process, but I don't <laughs> like illustrations, and I don't really even like examples, because so often, we want the examples for the purpose of illumination, but what often happens is the examples restrict and limit our thinking. Limit, absolutely. And so the, the you know, wh- why has it gotta be $40,000 per year in part four of becoming your own banker equipment financing? Add a zero. Add, Add another two. zero. Yeah, why do we have to stop there, you know? Take one away. Right. 
Okay, so this, this idea that, you know, I've got to be wealthy, I had that conversation mm. um, within the last week or so. I read this book five years ago. I read this book three years ago, sometime in the past, and I put it down because I didn't have that kind of money. Well, what kind of money are you talking about, right? Well, it turned out he was, they were looking at the equipment financing mm. illustration, $40,000 in premium. But then, you know, over that, time period between the time that they were exposed to the idea and they actually took um, action and started, you know, they financed these automobiles or education or whatever. Now they live with that. Oh, I should have done it then. I should have done it then. Um, so I'm, I'm, I completely agree that, and I've said it many times, that uh, illustrations are exactly that. They're illustrating into the unknown future as if nothing changes. Are they important? Only to the point, in my opinion, where you understand the mechanics of a policy. Your asset that you own, if you purchase life insurance, you should understand what your powers are, what your rights are, Mm -hmm. and what your obligations are, and how a policy is constructed in the the, um, what you can and can't do, and Mm -hmm. the... uh, you know, the reason is constructed, right? That, I mean, so I promote education, but at the, at, the, at the same time, who wants to wake up and be a life insurance agent? Or who wants to wake up and talk to a life insurance agent? Right. I mean, who wants to be an expert on life insurance, you know? It's like, well, are you an expert on your 401k? Are you an expert in your pension? If you have a 401k, do you want to go to work for Fidelity or Vanguard or TD Ameritrade, now Schwab? I mean, just because you put your money in it, I mean, does that mean you have to be an expert? It's like, no. Yeah. And who would want to? know the essentials. Yeah. And so that's why I I stay away from the, and that's why the questions like this angry, frustrated person asking about, you know, uh, why don't you talk about more positive things or like what you can do to keep your money in motion? It's like, this is an uncapitalized person. I don't even know who you are, but I, I can, your language reveals so much about the kind of research you've done and the kind of circumstances you're in because um, just the stuff like this. If you have capital, opportunity is attracted. And for me or for any other financial guru to put uh, restraints on that, to limit it, to say this is what is, this is just an example. So often we take examples and they're restrictive. They're not helpful. I mean, the, the helpful thing for me, for my clients, I think for us, for hopefully the IBC community has been a conceptual understanding, developing a conceptual understanding, the economic terminology necessary to understand capital, right? The, mon- the financial value, the monetary value, the value denominated in hypothetical monetary terms of assets, right? With acquisitive purpose, just like Manger said. Um, that we don't have that language we're so far behind and it's kind of on the one hand it's like oh there's so much to be to do and on the other hand it's like good i've got something to do for that (laughs) (laughs) there's never it's never going to be enough i mean you consider 330 million people in the country uh you know what fraction of them are doing some sort of income generation you know they're banking somehow and there's 300,000 licensed life insurance agents Maybe a hundred of them are actively involved in the Nelson Nash Institute, and maybe twenty percent of that hundred do it full time as their only thing. It's like, look at the numbers here. There's a lot of work to be done, and that's why I feel like a Hebrew slave. And they're taking the straw away. Yeah, I think that uh, on a positive note, you know, the noise does serve a purpose. It sharpens, you know, uh, the consumer, and I think it sharpens the uh, practitioner that that wants to do the right thing. And I think most um, people in general, you know, even in the financial world, want to do the right thing. Yeah. You know, uh, I think that, you know, uh, I don't don't think people in general get up and want to do harm. Right. Right. But if, on the other hand, if you discover something that is opposite of a held view mm-hmm. and you don't correct that, that mm-hmm. speaks to your character. Mm-hmm. 
you know, and, and what do I mean by that? I've said many times, there's only two kinds of agents that write universal life insurance. There's only two. One, two, two. And prove me, prove me wrong. I mean, I'm, I'm open. I'm not open to debate because I could care less about debating. Mm-hmm. Um, but if you want to debate, I know a good debater. So. <laughs> um, the one type of agent that writes universal life believes that the indices and the markets are always going to go up. And, and the rate of return that's credited is going to overcome the internal increasing costs of life insurance. You can't even listen to it with a straight face. Right. And then, and so that's one, they're ignorant, yeah. right? They don't know. And then when you, when you turn you know, life insurance into a multi-level marketing scheme, you know, not, not that there's not legitimate multi-level marketing schemes out there or direct uh, sales, mm-hmm. you know, I'm not trying to disparage that, but I like can't hardly get it off of you mm-hmm. once you get it on you. Okay, I mean, A.L. Williams was the first one to come out with that, in my knowledge, and maybe you know he was carrying forward some idea. Um, so when the life insurance companies, you know, promote universal life, and there are a couple that that that's all they write or that's their most profitable product line and then they embrace and they go out and create these IMOs independent marketing organizations FMOs field marketing organizations and they structure it as a you know multi-level marketing deal Um, it typically attracts people who in their heart of hearts want to do good Mm -hmm. right and so they buy into this idea that I can help others and get paid by helping others. And they have no idea of the history or even the genesis of universal life mm-hmm. insurance and how it was constructed or why it was constructed. Therefore, if you don't know what's going on in the beginning, you cannot know the end. Okay? <clears throat> and so if they don't have any experience you know, with universal life that came out in the late 80s, um, or eight, not even in the late 80s, in the 80s when interest rates were very high. Um, so they don't know. They don't have the experience. So they're in, they're, I, I want to say they're innocent because they're ignorant. But you can't remain ignorant. You can't. I mean, being ignorant is okay. Remaining ignorant is not okay. Mm-hmm. Okay, so there's one type. They just don't know. Right? And then there's the other agent who's been around. You know, they wrote Universal Life back in the day when you can get 12 and 14% on a CD and they used that interest rate as a side account in the original universal life policies, right? And they, this agent, this type, this number two agent, right? Experienced that. Probably even bought policies mm-hmm. because they believed in them. You know, at the time they believed in them. They, they believed that this is the right thing. They're getting paid to help others. But they go through that and then, oh, wait a minute. They all imploded. Right, and now you have these. Okay, so then the life insurance industry comes out with um, a variable universal life. Well, you know the interest rates have come down, so the market's booming. So we'll create variable universal life, and so all the stockbrokers can sell it, right? And they can compete with life insurance industry because there is a colossal struggle between Wall Street and the life insurance companies, mm-hmm. right? The ones that have remained separate. Okay. Um, Market's going up forever, so it, it illustrates very good. Yeah, and then we find out that the markets don't go up forever, mm. and those policies implode or require a much more premium and or a reduced death benefit. Mm-hmm. More premium and a reduced death benefit to keep it in force, right? So then the industry comes up with the indexed universal life, the equity indexed universal life. And of course, they have to drop the E so we can get away from equities. And now it's just IUL. So you have the, the agent that has written those or has been around 20, 30 years or whatever and has experienced them and they write the universal life anyway. Mm. Mm. I just think you're less than honest. Mm. So when I say there's two types, those are two types. One is ignorant and one is less than honest. Which one do you want to do business with? It's your choice. Mm-hmm. All right. Okay. So then what do you make of this idea that, you know, I worked at the home office and I, I see I saw how the corporations uh, buy life insurance for their executives and now I want to just share that with the public and it's all 1090, so that's what I want you to do. What do you well, make of that? I don't know. I'd probably tell them to go write a book, mm. right? You know, 
you, you did a weekend study, you know, for six months. I'd go create a bunch of click funnels, right, and tell the story how, you know, you've researched what all the millionaires have done around the world. You've been a student and you've written it all down. Now, I'm not, I'm not aware of that, but <laughs> of what you're speaking of, but the home office person, I don't know. I don't want to, you know, disparage the home office people. Most of them don't own life insurance. Well, what does that tell you? Mm-hmm. I mean, what is that? And then when they do own life insurance, you know, how much premium are you paying? Right. Do you have that attitude that this is the worst place to put your money? So you want to put very little in? I don't know. I mean, the home office people, I would assume that they're like everybody else. You know, this idea resonates with some of us and it doesn't, it repels others. Yeah. You know, and I think that none of us are any different than that. Whether you're on Wall Street, whether you're an accountant, you know, um, or CPA of some kind, or you know, a financial guru of another kind, it either makes sense to you when you hear it, or disturbs you enough for you to 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 go down the rabbit hole and read and discover and dig it up and dig it up and dig it. You know, um, or it's just repelling. Oh no, I'm buying term and invest the difference, and everybody who has a life insurance license is uh, is. You know the devil. And whole life is the worst place to put money, blah, blah, blah. I think that the home office people are not immune to that. Uh, what do uh, you think about it? I think they're, maybe they had they were good at math. They didn't know what their major should be, so they did a math thing, and then uh, a life insurance company did a seminar at the university and said, we're hiring for actuaries. And they said, oh, why not? And salary's mm-hmm. fine, benefits are good, I'll just do that. And... Yeah, I think they're just I think they're just going to work and trying to make a living to pay the bills. I don't think they're interested. Like which would explain <laughs> their uh at times sluggish and uh lack of initiative to get applications in Man, it sounds like you got some <laughs> pent up aggression there, young man. <laughs> uh it's just it sometimes I'm mystified that uh, you know, they are able to accept a premium check. Um, I have people now because they watch the show and they're like, man, I just want to pay a premium. Right. You know, then maybe we don't do a good enough job about explaining like what the process looks like. I mean, it, it can be eight weeks to get through underwriting. If there's a, a under like a, a underwriting a snare or something, you, know, you can't get medical records. Th- these processes can be delayed. We use companies that perform legitimate underwriting processes, and so it can take time. You know. Um, I've had this before. People will say, oh, well, I want to get started, but, you know, I, uh, I'm going to wait a, f- a few months. You know, maybe a job's changing or whatever. And it's like, okay, I mean, you can wait. You can, do whenever, you can start whenever you want. Uh, there's always a reason to delay, by the way. There's always, always. a reason to delay. Yep. Um, if you don't have one, you can invent one. Right. And, you, and so take as much time as you need, but also keep in mind that once we get started, there's still a month, two-month wait until you get this, you know, life insurance, you can't just go to the store and pick up a life insurance policy off the shelf. You know, this is a, it's a very unique, and which is why it, I'm, I don't really, I, I try not to say that I don't understand something when I do and I just don't like it, but um, <laughs> I almost don't understand like why these internet people want to use the same sort of like product pitching marketing strategies that, you know, the comedian podcasters use to sell socks in life insurance. It's like, we're, that is, this is not the same. We're not doing that. Are you talking about your libertarian friends that yeah. sell socks? Yeah. They're not even funny. How could you call them comedians? Well, you know, take them at their word. <laughs> <laughs> but they, uh, and they sure as hell don't know anything about cigars. <laughs> <laughs> but they, uh, you know, they, I just, it doesn't make sense to me. And so with the few agents that I do, will work with, it's like, we don't, we're not doing that. Well, I like the, uh, the uh, and maybe we don't do a good enough job uh, communicating. That's why I keep showing up week after week because I'm trying to convey, mm-hmm. I'm trying to communicate, I'm trying to connect. I love you. I want to connect with you, right? Um, the people that sometimes say, hey, listen, I got this big project, you know, in 45 days. Can I get a premium paid, go mm. through underwriting, and finance this big project? And how much money will it take me to pay in premium to finance this project? 
You know, and I'd love to say yes, but, and I don't, I'm married to my wife. Yes, I'm married up. I should talk about merch it up. I should merch that up. Um, I married up and so did you. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. The, the, I forgot where I was going. The company and the delays in underwriting. Yeah. Oh, I I just, if it, if it was yeah. possible to get it done sooner than 45 days. And it really should be. I mean, underwriting, oh, yeah, oh, I was going to, well, here's what, thank you. What I was going to say, and it happens as you get older, right? Your hearing goes, your sight goes, and, you know, you forget, you wander off. I mean, not like Joe Biden level wandering <laughs> off. <laughs> um, the, uh, um, oh my God! <laughs> <laughs> it should be possible to get underwriting done in 45 yes, days. Yes, 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 yes. The, and I don't want to take up for the life insurance companies. Mm-hmm. I do not want to take up for them. As a matter of fact, I'm surprised they continually invite me back. Right? <clears throat> I mean, I'm I'm nice, and you know, uh, and I say things in a positive, loving, and concerned manner, but I can be brutal with them, and they deserve it. I need to practice, and they need to hear it. Yeah. Okay. Okay. The 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 underwriter only has a limited amount of time. Mm-hmm. A couple of weeks, you know, all the effort that it takes to get the the exam, the medical records. You know, the underwriter is only looking at that for not very dang long. You're right. I mean, so they have a very short window to make a decision, and those death benefits and the cash value in the future are obligations to the company. So if you're, you know, you in, in being a mutual company, you're part owner of the company. Mm-hmm. You want them to make a good decision. Right. You know, of course, we all want to be preferred or super preferred, and the agent wants everything to get through underwriting, you know, easy and in a timely manner. I, I get that. But on the other hand, you don't want the life insurance companies making mistakes, mm-hmm. right? Or you'll find Harry Markopoulos, you know, pointing out this yeah. big company is like, oh, they knew. Why would a big, huge company, they had to know. Had to know. Why would they put so much capital with a schmuck? I mean, why would they do that? Are they making up for losses or mm-hmm. lackluster returns elsewhere or misallocated expenses? Mm-hmm. I mean, why would you do that? I mean, it's the same reason the guy would look at a 37% rate of return on a spreadsheet knowing full well that it's not possible, but I'm going to put my life savings into it and just hope it turns out. You know, it's the same person that would promote Index Universal Life, you know, illustrating these huge numbers and and it has no knowledge of Universal Life. Yeah. Why would they promote that to their friends and their family? You know? I say, they, I mean, I, I say hope. It, yeah, I say assume angelic intentions, but... I tell you what, it, it it's a difficult assumption to continue to yeah. assume. Yeah, that's that's a hard hard to defend there. Yeah, and like with the ten night, I I think I put this on Facebook. I was like, if if I got as many questions about what's included in the agent client relationship as I do about policy design, mm-hmm. then this industry would be a lot better off. Sure, you know, and I virtually, I mean, I explain it, I'm not being hard on anybody, but I never get that question about what can I expect in terms of a relationship going forward. You know, Do you what never kind get of, that? Not, uh, maybe a handful of times. And it might, maybe it's because I go over it fairly early mm. with people, but um, like online, any kind of comments or emails or anything, it doesn't come up, you know. Um, what can I expect uh, in five years? You know, what kind of continuing service, if any, is offered? And I will be shocked and amazed if the cookie cutter 1090 product pitchers are falling over themselves to provide ongoing service. Um, it could happen. It could be the case, but. Um, I guess, I mean, we cover it pretty early in our process, but we still get it. It's like, and mainly it, it seems to me, and I could be wrong, but it seems to me that it's like they just want clarity when they ask a question. Well, James, you know, can, can I contact you? 
yeah, my clients have access to me. Yeah. And they don't abuse it. Right. You know what I mean? But, um, man, yeah. I hear that so often. You know, I got a policy from another guy. He's an NNI practitioner. And, and uh, he won't even answer his phone. He won't answer the phone. <laughs> yeah. yeah we He's get sending that. me to, he, to, he told me to call the home office. Ooh. I'm like, hmm. That's, yeah, we that's get that. uncomfortable. It's like refugees or orphans, you know. Come on. Come on. <laughs> it's like, you know what? You don't want to be dependent upon them anyway. No. Right? You want to be independent. And so that's what we promote and uh, breed and, and, and practice, you know. But it's a process of time. I don't know what I don't know. Right? But I do want to know what I need to know to manage the assets that I own. Right. Whatever they are. Right? And I, and I don't want to, I surely don't want an adversarial relationship right. at all with the 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 agent the advisor or the life insurance company or i don't want an adversarial relationship anywhere mm. right so if we're like-minded we could probably work together mm. and if i don't abuse your time and you don't abuse my time right and and we can iron sharpen iron i mean it's a it's a match made in heaven yeah you know yes we get paid of course we get paid you get paid too and we want everyone to get paid but it's not a zero-sum relationship. Mm -hmm. You know, the life insurance company doesn't have to lose, and they will lose on the long term if it's a continual table shave, if it's a continual, we're gonna make something happen here, we're gonna make an exception for you. No, no, but the client doesn't have to lose, right? right? I mean, it really, it can be a win-win-win situation, and another win. Right, yeah. so it could be a win for the consumer. It could be a win for the advisor or the agent, and it can be a win for the life insurance company, and it can be a win for your future children's children's children. Unless you're working with that individual that says, "I don't want to leave anything to anyone." Right. It's like, see, we, our philosophy mis, is mismatched. It's misaligned philosophy. Yeah, yeah. So, all right. All that negativity ending on a positive right. note. <laughs> <laughs> you know, funny. let me tell you what, I'm telling you, the noise uh, provides opportunity for, you know, practitioners. It is, it does. It, it frustrates me, but at the same time, it is an opportunity. It and is. you get the people who have, who have heard it and read it, and it's, there's so much of it, you can't avoid it. And they finally end up here, and it's like, oh my gosh. You know? And it's so available. I mean, I, I get the... Capital theory is not a new thing. You know, economists have been debating and arguing about it for over 100 years. You know, somebody could stumble around and fall into like an economics uh, perspective for financial strategy. We don't have to use <laughs> what the what Wall Street tells us to use to market life insurance. I mean, that's what a concept, right? We could think for ourselves and go read some economics and say, hey, there might be something here. <laughs> it might be a good idea to systematically accumulate capital over your lifetime so that you have access to more and more purchasing power. What could go wrong with what that? What a basic, I mean, <laughs> why not Why not that? Why the gimmicks? Why the index to dividend, the annually renewable term, uh, 1090, velocity banking, debt snowballs, turnkey real estate, passive income, mailbox money? Why? He looked. Why not? Why? I keep, I keep saying HELOC because there's another comment that I'll address in the future. It's like, James, you know, you're not a big fan of HELOCs and turnkey real estate. And that's exactly what I've done. I've gotten out of debt. And I'm like, yep, God bless you. That's just not where you start, in my opinion. And it's, there's people who are out there like that. But it's the idea I love, that everybody I love, should do it. Oh, I love the, I love the, uh, the, uh, the walk-ons at the NNI. Uh-huh. Uh, Nelson Nash Institute. I love these guys that are cloaked in, you know, I'm a financial advisor or whatever. And, you know, they're NNI, becoming your own banker. Nelson Nash Institute. Okay. Becoming your own banker. The infinite banking concept. And the first thing they want you to do is buy a universal <laughs> life policy or go buy a HELOC. Right. Oh, here, go buy a HELOC, because then the company that we use and the way we build policies is whatever that not good enough, and, or I can't convey the power. We probably don't even pay any premium. You call them, and they do everything but what Nelson promoted. Right. And they're still a practitioner. Yeah. Stop it. Right. Anyway, listen. And they probably don't build the contracts themselves either. At the end of the day, oh, the, the noise just complicates things, and it's, it's this <laughs> unnecessary complexity to make the appearance 
of expertise when really it's smoke and mirrors. And, and the, at the end of the day, it's very simple. Systematic capital accumulation. Pay a premium. That's it. And don't squeeze the base down to nothing. Pretty easy. All right, you got anything else? I just think if you know better, you should do better. Yeah. So, and quit posing. <laughs> I'm just saying. <laughs> <laughs> um, no, nah, I'm good. Peace, love, peace, and chicken grease, all right? Yeah. See y'all next time. All right. Thanks for listening. Thank you for joining us on the Banking with Life podcast. If you're watching on YouTube, make sure to like and subscribe and click on that little notification bell. Otherwise, join us on Apple Podcasts and Stitcher for weekly content.